Welcome. Welcome listeners to Functionally Speaking, the podcast more adequate to the challenge of the human condition. I'm your host, DJ Moran, and thanks for joining me on this episode. In today's interview, I talk to Beata Ebert, a friend and colleague that is doing inspiring work with her group, Commit and Act. Her NGO, non-governmental organization, is headquartered in Germany, but focuses on doing astounding pro-social initiatives in Sierra Leone. She is training social workers, religious leaders, community organizers, and mental health practitioners to help them create healthier environments in the face of the Ebola epidemic. She does this with her hard work in creating a social network in the Sierra Leone area and teaching those folks uh, applications based in acceptance and commitment therapy. In fact, that's how uh, Bieta and I met uh, a few years ago. She was trying to help communities in Sierra Leone build up mental health clinics, and I volunteered to join her to give her uh, to, to give them actually a multi-day uh, act workshop. Opportunity. So we did a couple of ACT workshops, um, uh, one for a series of days in Freetown, and then another three- or four-day workshop in Bow. Uh, both of those towns are in Sierra Leone. Uh, that span of time that I spent in Africa was honestly, no hyperbole here, um, it was honestly life-changing, seeing the abject poverty uh, that people were dealing with and still seeing smiles on the faces of the people who lived in those impoverished villages, uh, seeing the community come together to really help one another, uh, especially in what was called the amputee camps, uh, which is where folks that had their arm or their leg chopped off during the Civil War, they came to live there to gain support from people because they could no longer work. Um, while driving through those villages, sometimes kids who were just wearing like a pair of underwear or just a, a t-shirt would chase our vehicle yelling, Pumwi, Pumwi, uh, which means white person. And realizing that I, a six foot three, scruffy, long haired white guy might be the only white person that they've seen in a long time and, uh, probably will see in a long time. And, you know, just to see that up close, people carrying water on their head and uh, from, the, from the riverbank because that's the way it's done. Uh, visiting small huts where four generations uh, in a family live with their goats. Um, visiting that and, and, and living in a hospital compound where when the nurse showed me to my room, she said, three people have died in that cot since the beginning of this year. And it was still January when I was at that compound. Um, those experiences change your perspective on life. And, and one experience that was just mind-blowing, I mean, it was just astonishing, was when we had two men in our ACT workshop that were on different sides of the Civil War. And one of the men had actually killed people in the other man's family. Those two men were in our ACT workshop. And the fact that they lived in the same town was astonishing to me. Uh, and they were working together. They were in a workshop learning how to make their communities better. And, and that story, it was not a rare one. Once the Civil War was over, the child combatants didn't have anywhere to go, nowhere to live, except in the towns and villages that had been ravaged by the war. So people who were on... The opposite sides stopped being on opposite sides. 
They were now just on one side, the human community side. And it was remarkable. It was just remarkable to see the forgiveness and the understanding. One man said it wasn't that hard to forgive the aggressors, especially the child combatants, because it wasn't their fault, this one guy said. He said that sometimes the war provokers, the the warlords, would come into a town, shoot the adults, and say to the children, join us or suffer the same fate as your loved ones. And then they'd slice the kids' arms with a knife and grind cocaine and gunpowder into the bleeding wound. And that that would have the, you know, that kind of drug combination would get the kid all hyped up. And then they'd give the kid a gun and the kid would wreak havoc on the people in the next town that they went to visit. So that's how they built up their 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 troops. These stories, the horror... Uh, it just must have seemed apocalyptic for those families during the war. And now they're just trying, now that it's over, just trying to create a land of peace and, and togetherness. And I'm glad Beata has went there to help out folks. Uh, I'm glad I had the opportunity to join her. She's really got a great heart for the people of Sierra Leone. You should get to know her and join her if you want to see a different perspective on life uh, on this planet. Uh, so we talk about her work in this interview. I'm joined today by my friend and colleague, Beata Ebert. Welcome to the podcast, Beata. Oh, thank you very much, DJ. Yeah. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, I'm glad. And I don't do that every day. Right, right, right. And I'm, I'm glad that you're joining me. I wanted to start out by thanking you for two things. Um, the, the first, thank you for your magnificent charitable work in Africa. Um, what you're doing is remarkable over there. And, and second, thank you for letting me join you on one of your mission trips to Sierra Leone a few years ago. Uh, it was really an amazing experience to see the world in that manner and, and, and to have that kind of opportunity. I really appreciate it. Oh, you're very welcome, DJ. Yeah, it was, it was Actually, one of the more astounding weeks of my life that I can remember. It was a really uh, amazing experience. Yes, it's very different to go there, right? Yep, yep. You can read about it. You can see things on TV. You can read the newspapers. But actually being there is a totally different scenario. Very different and very challenging, yep. I would say. Yeah. Yeah. Well, why don't we talk about the challenge, especially what we set out to do? Why don't you recall for our listeners what we did uh, when Joanne Dahl and I joined you on our excursion to Sierra Leone a few years ago? Yes, let's do that. And you help me, please. Okay? Sure. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And I'd like to say that the thanks is on my side, because without you and Joanne, I could not have started this work. I mean, at that time, when you courageously said, Beate, we will come with you, there was nothing set up. <laughs> we had no idea what to expect. I also remember our Skype calls, thinking about, will our method work in Sierra Leone? Will people uh, find something valuable in it? Uh, and how would we provide our trainings? How would we set them up? And then we we decided to do them like always because we thought, okay, we have no idea anyway. So yeah. we do it like we always do it. Yeah. There were yeah. a lot of unanswered questions when we went there. And that's what made it 
so adventurous. We didn't know if what we were going to do was going to work, and we didn't even necessarily have all the practical things in place, like where are we going to buy food, you know, and uh, in, in that particular area of the world, and how are we going to set ourselves up when there's no supermarkets around? Yeah, it was fantastic. It was unbelievable. <laughs> Um, I think that was most one of the most impressive moments when uh, Father John, who took us to our training in the middle of the original woods, said, okay, and now we go to the marketplace and we yeah. buy all the food for 30 people in the training. And I remember us staring at him and looking at each other, <laughs> not knowing at all what you need for 30 people to buy. Right, right. Luckily, having this nurse with us who told us everything you would need, and in the end, you were packed with uh, all kinds of uh, like rice and vegetables yep. Yep. and palm oil and everything. And fish. And we had and fish. Th 30 pounds of fish in a black garbage bag. It was <laughs> yeah. I, When I saw that, that that was going to be our meals for the next couple of days, I was just astounded. And I... <laughs> I like camping. I, I like, you know, uh, living in the outdoors. I've caught my own food before. But the fact that we bought like 30 pounds of fish and kept it in a plastic bag, put it in the back of a pickup truck and drove it around in the uh, African sun had me shocked that, you know, what is this really what our cuisine is going to be for the next couple of days? Uh, yeah. it, it, it was really a, a neat opportunity. It was, yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, and we went there for the express purpose to teach folks over there who are um, social workers, um, people who are religious counselors, people who are uh, mental health professionals. Yeah. We were, we went over there to help them get a better understanding of what acceptance and commitment therapy is all about. Yeah. Yeah. And to give them tools. I mean, um, we came about 10 years after the cruel civil war they experienced and we knew from an excursion I did before this trip that people really were suffering um, from their traumatic experiences and some really hurtful memories and most, I mean nearly everybody has had uh, hurtful experiences like uh, lost beloved ones and experienced violence themselves. So we knew people yeah, would need tools to deal with that, or might need tools to deal with that. This was what we thought. Sure, sure. And yeah, that was, that was our understanding. And it seemed to me that perhaps, at least for me, my understanding of post-traumatic stress disorder was essentially learned in the United States and in the work that I did with the VA. It seemed different over there. I don't want to get too much into the cross-cultural differences yeah. in psychopathology, but it just seemed uh, different um, and, and how people were handling it. But it still seemed also that the ACT message was going to help them with the way that they were struggling with it. Yeah, I would say so. And we always tried to not um, impose something on them. Uh, can you say that? Impose? Yes, absolutely. Uh, You're ab that, that was yeah. part of what I was driving at, is that it seemed like we, we just can't help them the way we might have helped other folks in other organizations, in at least in the United States for me. We didn't want to seem like we were trying to impose our view on what needs to be done on their culture, on, on their community, on, on them as individuals. And, and that was yeah. one of the things that we definitely had to be flexible with. Yes. 
And I think it's one of the key points why I, our work is successful and why this approach is successful, because it delivers uh, processes, uh, it delivers a structure you can use and you can fill with your own content. Yes. We always ask people, what are the problems you're dealing with? And these problems are so very different from our problems, like dealing with starving kids or, um, I mean, some are similar, but the, the rate of crime or violence is much higher. And the yep. hurtful experiences people had are beyond our imagination. Yes. And still... Uh, the processes like acceptance I found so very important um, when I listened to the feedback people gave us because they stopped struggling with what happened. Um, it was always like, what did I do um, wrong that this happened to me that got that? Um, like kind of to find control uh, in a way um, that this happened to people. Exactly. And it's acceptance work. They could, they could start to accept this is what happened and it had it was nothing personal it was um it was just what happened and right. it will be part of my life right that's why i think act is a powerful approach to things because it provides a, a, a framework um it's not it's not rigid it's yep. it's supposed to build up psychological flexibility but the cool thing about the model is it, it just builds a framework and you can use that framework to absorb what what the challenges are that you're dealing with. And I, th I think the way that you did it and the way you explained it as well um, really shows us that the ACT model was contributing to helping folks in Sierra Leone. Yeah, yeah. I really liked um, yeah. how Joanne Dahl helped you and I introduce ACT to their community. When we had the folks show up for our classes, she really which was not evident before we had no idea whether we would find people in our workshops before we went right <laughs> that's right too we didn't even know what the attendance was going to be like never yeah. never mind the fact that the three of us hadn't even worked together before no. um, but joanne Dahl had yeah right um joanne Dahl had um came up with a way of explaining act by really physicalizing it and not just mm -hmm. physicalizing like the act intervention but actually the act process and the way she taught it was very physicalized and what i mean by that if you recall she wanted to teach people to walk commit to doing make a committed action of walking in a direction that they cared about their values and then we taught skills of acceptance and diffusion and self as context as ways of dealing with barriers or obstacles as you walk down your path and it wasn't just used as a lecture metaphor. We actually walked. I mean, we got up out of our chairs and we walked and, and really made it three-dimensional. We, we made it personal. We made it real for them to understand that sometimes there are challenges in life and there are certain ways of dealing with it. Yes, it was very experiential. And people um, physically went through their obstacles and they had a kind of breakthrough uh, and they went towards their um, valued life directions or, val or, or valued goals yep. they had. And, and they were so much open to this work. They loved to do this physical work and they participated so much more than I would have expected or than I even know in our Western uh, workshops. Yeah, yeah. 
Right. That's good. It's good that people are continuing at, in Sierra Leone to absorb what we taught them. And I, I think Joanne really set a nice precedent when teaching ACT. Because I've been teaching folks about just plain old behavior therapy for uh, this time um, over a decade. And I always tell my supervisees, if you are in the clinic and, and you're just doing talk therapy, you're not actually getting out and helping people engage in committed action, whether it's a exposure or social skills training or walking them through some kind of uh, behavioral activation exercise, if you're really just sitting there in your office hour after hour, week after week with your clients, you're probably not doing uh, the best work you can as someone who's wedded to evidence-based treatments. You really need to take the behavior therapy approach to helping people reduce their suffering and improve their quality of living. And Joanne and, and you and I were, were able to take that same principle and bring it into the training. So I really thought that that was, that, that was impactful on the way I did my trainings and my ACT workshops after that. Yeah, or the same for me. I mean, I was very much in the beginning as a trainer at that point, and I was so glad for all you and Joanne's experience. I think the first trainings have been the most difficult ones because it was new for all of us. And it was like uh, you had to be so precise and so clear about what you do. And I, I mean, now I'm much more clear what we are doing, but at that point... Um, it was different, and it made such a difference that you were so powerful to deliver yeah. this method. Yeah, thanks, thanks. That was just a great, great opportunity. You know what I liked about the trainings um, that, that was different than any other training I've ever done? And I've trained acceptance commitment therapy workshops over 100 times, but nothing like when we were over in Sierra Leone, one of the coolest things that happened when we would do it is we would take breaks. We took breaks a little bit more frequently than I usually do. But then when we would come back from any break, someone in the audience took it upon themselves to see if we could get together for a prayer. And it yes. didn't matter if, you know, it was so interesting that I don't remember the exact makeup of the crowd but there was a good chunk of muslims and a good chunk of christians and it yes. didn't even matter who raised their hand everybody was happy about it everyone joined in and sometimes the prayer was a song where people got up and you know stood up and danced clapped it was a, just a fantastic community building um just experience at this workshop, and it was really impressive. I, I really liked the way uh, they reacted to um, our workshop and the way they, 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 they made it important to them um, spiritually and interpersonally. It was fantastic. Yes, we even had a welcome celebration. I've never had that in any workshop right. in our countries. And uh, there was a priest, and uh, they gave their blessing for the work we did. And like you said, they made it important for themselves. And they always pray Muslim and Christian. Right. It doesn't matter who who starts. And religion is never an issue in between them. They are very peaceful about that. Yep. Yeah. That was that was great. I remember when we were staying in the hospital uh compound in Bo, uh, I was walking and um I turned the corner and there was a man doing uh, his uh, prayer um, 
pointing towards Mecca, and he was on his knees, and I, I apologized to him. I said, oh, my gosh, I'm, I'm sorry if I, I startled you there. And he said, just, I, I want you to know what I do. And he actually, you know, wanted me to watch him pray because he wanted me to know uh, what it's like uh, to be Muslim in Africa. Uh, it was just, a, it, it was great. It was, it was really a, a great experience. Yes, people are sharing much more than we do don't they? Yeah. It's it's all happening in the community. And I really think this is something we can very much learn from people there. I've learned so much about community mm -hmm. and how to build community, like you said, with the prayers and uh, the songs and also yeah, to how they touch themselves, how they take care of themselves or even how they take care of us when we are coming there. Right, you know? right, right. Yes, they uh, very caring for us, even though we're there to uh, assist them. Uh, they were very supportive of everything we did. Yeah. And, and just the, the caringness really shone through to me when we stopped between uh, Freetown and Bow. We stopped off at a place that we called the Amputee Camp. And that was just some of the most just startling opportunities in, in my life to, to see what happens when people have suffered but the community can come together and see if they can ease that suffering in the amputee camp there are people who, who honestly just didn't have either one of their arms or just one arm or, or neither one of their legs and the community came together and lived with them they didn't put them in an institution they they, they just lived with them and tried to make it um, as accessible uh, as, as possible. It was really, it was really a deep experience to see that uh, communities can do that. Yeah, it's a sad, it's a sad story with amputee people because they never get any support from uh, from the government, right. um, and then people in those villages they have hardly enough for themselves and their own families, but they try to give them to give amputee people food because they know they cannot really provide their own living. Right. And they do well. I mean, uh, Aminata, maybe you remember the one young woman uh, with one arm. She yeah. has three kids, and her husband is in Freetown to to work there right. and earn a little money. And she goes fishing. And the chief of the village told me it's really difficult to do fishing with two arms. It's very tricky, and you must be very clever to do it and he has no idea how she's doing it with with one arm which right. is very very great in it you know yeah yeah. Uh, yeah yeah i admire those people and you know what uh, since we opened our center we could we could provide some therapy to aminata and michael the chief of the of oh. the little amputee village who has no arms anymore right and they were at the opening of our center no kidding Great, yeah. Oh, that is yeah. good. I'm so glad that you're still in constant contact with them. The people that I met, that was a few years ago, but you're you're still in regular contact. I'm wondering what are you doing currently with Commit and Act? Yeah, I mean one uh big uh step was to start our ongoing center um in January 2014. Um it was um, a big step from going there once a year to provide ongoing support. Um, okay. Yeah, and of course, we have to provide ongoing funding now because we have staff. Hannah Bokuri, um, which was one of the leaders already in our very first training 
if you remember, she was like at the first day she said, I want to give that to my colleagues. I want to learn how, how to do trainings and how to do supervision. And she, she started to do that right away when she went home. Okay. And then uh, Thomas Pukumu, um, who also was in the same workshop and very inspired by our work. Yeah. Uh, so Hannah is leading our center now. She's di the director. And Thomas is working there as a voluntary. That's great. Uh, yeah, and we, we just settled down a little uh, after a couple of months. We did, um, I think, um, very good work uh, with people who experienced gender-based violence, mostly young girls and their families. We, we gave workshops to police stations, um, family support units, they are called. They are dealing with gender-based violence, and they were grateful to get some uh, tools to deal with distress and to help the families who come to see them and to have somebody they can refer the families to. Okay. So wow. this was part of the work or yeah, to give any psychosocial support and to do supervisions and trainings. And then um, uh, it, yeah, like it, the Ebola outbreak uh, started and our center was in the middle of one of the hotspots. Wow. And um, yeah, then we uh, immediately started to to uh, shape our method to help with Ebola prevention because we think the most important thing is to um, to prevent Ebola and to inform people how they can do that. That's good stuff. That is great stuff. Are you willing to share uh, with everybody how you had an impact? on the community dealing with Ebola? Very much, yes. Uh, it's very close to my heart or to our hearts. Um, um, we started to use the pro-social approach more. Um, this approach unites different uh, scientific directions like uh, the um, uh, evolutionary science and economics and applied behavioral science. And um, it gives us a, a tool to foster pro-social behavior in communities. And this is very important as the Ebola outbreak led to big uncertainty in Sierra Leonean communities. People should not touch each other anymore. Um, they should not touch their children. They should not do their traditional rituals anymore. Um, very important burial rituals to honor their dead beloved ones. And um, how would you how would you inform people to do that to to really cause behavior change? Because uh, the traditional rituals and all this behavior is so ingrained in people and so important for them and for their whole culture. Right. Um, so. Um, one, I think one advantage we had was that we were uh, well, um, well wired after a couple of years of doing work in Sierra Leone and that we have Sierra Leonean counselors who can uh, talk differently to their own people and we lead them through a process which starts with information about uh, how a virus works and how this Ebola virus works and that you get it um, by touching people or by um, by being by having somebody's uh, body liquid on your body right um, and then when people understand that um, 
we we ask them about their values and um or first we ask them so how do you solve problems um normally or before this outbreak and and they say oh we do that by by uh, putting our heads together and by talking about it and it becomes very obvious that this is not um, sufficient anymore so they see themselves that they need new tools and new approaches and we look at what's really valuable for them and there are two things um, that are very valuable for them uh, in this regard and this is uh, to take care of their families and communities so they stay healthy right. and to honor their dead ones um, to fulfill uh, on their traditions yeah so you're capitalizing, capitalizing on the idea of values-based commitments right yes yes very nice Nice. And then they get to the conflict themselves, you know, and then when they are in the middle of the conflict, then uh, they start thinking how they could solve the problem. This is different than coming from outside and tell them, uh, you should do it like that. And they come up with really creative solutions. I mean, they are um, clear, okay, uh, touching each other is, um, it's better not to touch each other anymore. We will not do that anymore. It's better to disinfect your hands and all that stuff. But they also came up with solutions uh, about the burial rituals, which I think was the most crucial point, as the dead bodies are most infectious when people uh, have just died. Um, and many people, so like maybe to give you an idea, the burial rituals in Sierra Leone are very uh, caring too. Um, people are washing, washing the dead bodies, they are dressing them, they are hugging and kissing them, and they are praying for them for several days in their homes. So it was clear they could not do that anymore, but right. they also did not want to not honor uh, the dead people. And they decided to give the dead bodies to the burial teams um, to not uh, bring their living beloved ones in danger and to do the burial rituals with a banana trunk. Right. And they did the same things. They they wrapped it in clothes and they hugged it and they prayed for it. And it was um, very, it was sufficient for them. And they felt good because they fulfilled on the traditions like that. So the, the banana trunk you're talking about is uh, part of a tree that acts as a substitute or a proxy yes. for the recently deceased. Yes. You could say it like that, and yes. And people resonated with it. They were okay with that substitute. Yeah, they found this solution themselves, um, okay. and they delivered this to others in their communities, and they all agreed. They thought it was a good idea, given the problem they had. Yeah, yeah. nice. Yeah, the substitute is obviously uh, important because hugging a dead body that was uh, infected with Ebola is putting you at risk, putting the person at risk. Um, so yeah. that the fact that they embraced this intervention um, somewhat surprises me, but the fact that they did uh, really is is impressive. That's that's important, and I'm glad for it. Yes, and you could never have found this solution from outside. You yeah. know, nobody right. of us would have this idea. <laughs> right, you, right. Yeah, you have right. to listen to people and maybe to give them new perspectives to look at a problem. But they found their own solutions. Impressive stuff. What? What was the most valuable experience you had um, yourself when, when you've been working in Sierra Leone? Um, I think my most valuable um, experience is always how welcome I am when I go to Sierra Leone. Um, it's, 
it's like coming home. And I never had any affinity really to Africa, but it was like that from the first time I went there. And, um, and people are just so friendly and have open arms. And um, I'm the mistrusting one. This is always what I get. You know, I'm always a little suspicious. Can I trust people? And I asked one of our participants, how come uh, that you're so friendly with us strangers? And she said, yeah, but of course you have a white skin. So I know you don't have your family here. You don't have your friends here and you need support. So I'm very friendly with you. Yeah, yeah. And I thought, wow, this is a very different approach than the one I learned to strangers, you know? Right, right. Yeah, everyone we interacted with uh, while there seemed like they were just magnanimous with their with with their um, just care. I mean, they they cared about uh, about our experience there. They wanted us to understand their culture. They wanted us to understand their suffering, not in a way where it was, uh, oh, poor me, feel sorry for me. You know, it was more like a, I want you to understand our culture and why we are the way we are. And they did it in a way that uh, was respectful of other people and really just inviting. I just felt invited while I was there. It was it was a great opportunity. Yeah. I really yeah. liked our, our host. Uh, I don't remember his name. He was a Catholic priest. Father Peter, Father Peter Conte. Yeah, yes. And he drove us around in his... Um, SUV, uh, we were listening to rap music, and he took us to the tavern to have dinner, right? Yes, yeah. yes, this was Father Peter. Yeah, he yeah. was a very nice guy, and I just remember uh, we had a conversation. Um, what do you think God's going to say to you when you get to heaven? And I don't even remember what my answer was, but I asked him back, what do you think God's going to say to you? And he said, God's going to look at me and say, how did you like my creation? You know, and it was it was an an interesting thing for a for me to hear a Catholic priest say. He just really thought that spirituality and and even his Catholic religion was about enjoying your time. God's going to ask you, "How did you enjoy my creation?" He wanted you know he wanted a relationship and feedback from the people he created to see how well they enjoyed their free will, the environment, the connectedness. So I, I really like that guy's point of view. Oh, it's so great you share that. I have I had forgotten about that. <laughs> yeah. And you know, I mean, Father Peter is one of the most acknowledged people in Sierra Leone. I oh, think he's right. the leader of the Caritas there. And he embodies this joy of life, doesn't he? Yeah, oh, absolutely. I, I mean, like, it, just the fact that uh, growing up myself in a very uh, Catholic, blue-collar, New York City neighborhood, I look at Catholicism a certain way. And, uh, and he has a totally different point of view on it, and it still, to me, resonated as totally legitimate, spiritual, interesting, and uh, I, I was impressed by the way uh, he talked to us about what he does. He loves life. It was fantastic. Yeah, oh, it's wonderful how you talk about him. Yeah, he, he's a real hero. I mean, uh, I, I can't really tell his story, but, I mean, he was being chased by the leaders of the other side. Um, oh, you know, my God. He, he, he should... Uh, actually, I think he does write a, a book about his life. Yeah. They, The soldiers who wanted to kill him asked him in the street, 
can you tell us where Peter Conte's house is? Can you imagine? And he was shivering of fear. He said that somebody could pass by and point to him. Yeah. And he said, I have no idea. Yeah. And then he, he, he hurried home knowing that his father was in the house. And he said, you need to come with me very quickly. And like three or four minutes, they went off the house. The soldiers came and they shot all the house. You know, everybody would have been killed. Uh, who was in the house. Unbelievable. So, wow, he has a very exciting life story. Yeah, yeah. Unbelievable true story. Unbelievable. Mm -hmm. If people wanted to help out, uh, knowing what they're learning now about what you're doing with Commit and Act and what we're uh, doing over in uh, Sierra Leone, if people wanted to help out with Commit and Act, how can they do so? Yeah, thank you for this question. DJ, and I really want to say to people, you can make a difference. We all can make a difference, either in this area or another area. But when you um, like to support our work, we have a website where you can donate on PayPal um, or on a bank account, which is www.commitandactoneword.com. We have a Facebook page. Um, and there's one thing. I think we need more partners. Because Sierra Leone will slip away from media attention, but the big need will still be there. Because right now this Ebola um, outbreak destroys all the progress which was made in the last 10 years after the war. Mm. And people are starving. Um, the, the prices for food have tripled. Mm. And I think much more, many more people die from the, uh, the side effects of Ebola than from Ebola itself. What do you mean? Um, yeah, like they don't dare, like they are starving or they don't go to the hospitals anymore with other uh -huh. diseases because they are scared mm -hmm. to get infected. Gotcha. Kids are dying because there is no medical care available anymore. It all goes to uh, the Ebola victims um, and hospitals are closed because staff has been infected and uh, there's nobody to work anymore. Mm. These are all kind of side effects if you can call it like that yeah we can't see just how far-reaching the devastation is from Ebola I mean it's not just the people are dying from that particular disease but it's it, it's got its fingers in in a lot of other parts of the community that that increase suffering Yes, economy economy is completely down. Uh, all mm. the organizations have called back their staff, so most people are not employed anymore. And it will take years to get back to the level people had before. And it was already one of the most, uh, like the one of the poorest countries right. in the world. Yeah. And I think I think there is a there is an opportunity in that, because we could try to develop a new relationship with people there. Uh, and this is why I say we need partners. If we found people who provide a certain amount of money per month for one or two years, we could uh, concentrate on our actual work to mm -hmm. empower people and to empower um, individuals and groups to really uh, connect to their values and to do what is important to them. And then people can be powerful again. Right. And I think this is something that can have a big impact in the whole country. Excellent. You're, you're talking about opportunities. Um, do you have future projects in mind? What, what is the future for Commit and Act? Um, so, of course, I'm not doing this work on my own. I have a team, uh, an amazing team of 10 very committed 
professionals um, who are working on this constantly with me, with me, all are volunteers, uh, voluntaries on a voluntary basis. Right. <laughs> Sorry. That's okay. Yeah. Um, and we started to bring act to other countries, like uh, my colleague and friend uh, Ross White has gone to Uganda and to Rwanda this year. He's doing a global mental health um, uh, global mental health program at the Uni University of Glasgow, and he unites that with Comet and Act and does great work there. Incredible. And then we also want to do more scientific work to evaluate the workshops we are doing also to evaluate uh, the Ebola prevention work we are doing, to learn from that for future uh, events. Um, we want to find out more about gender-based violence as the rate is so high and how we can reduce that. Um, it's also, I think, a unique opportunity to investigate in a country with pretty much no psychotherapist infrastructure, um, which impact a method like ACT can have in the country. Um, and how people can help themselves, um, um, like in their emotional life, but maybe also in their economic life, because they get more powerful. Um, does that make sense, DJ? Yes, yes absolutely, absolutely. Okay. Uh -huh. uh, Beata, I think you're in a, an incredible pioneer. I think what you're uh, doing with Commit and Act is, is extremely impressive, and I'm definitely going to make sure that I put a link uh, on the podcast um, for folks to get in touch with Commit and Act. I think uh, contributions to Commit and Act um, is, is very well used um, because what you're doing is, is outstanding. So I appreciate uh, you joining me uh, on Functionally Speaking and, and talking about what you're doing. I think people need to know what you're doing because you're taking the um, acceptance and commitment therapy approach, bringing it um, to a place that really needs it, can really benefit from it. You're essentially establishing a mental health opportunity. I, I want to say culture, I, I want to say framework, but we're, we're just planting the seeds uh, now, but, but you're, you're the person who's out there doing that. But beyond teaching people about ACT, um, you're actually having an impact on the community, uh, building up the infrastructure to make the place a more psychologically flexible, mentally healthy uh, environment for people to heal and hopefully grow from. I, I'm really impressed with what you've done, uh, Beata, and I, I appreciate you joining me here today. Great. Thank you, DJ. And big invitation to you and to all other trainers in our therapy method. We have a wonderful center. People are eager to learn from other trainers. We are training trainers now to provide more training in yep. Sierra Leone from Sierra Leonean counselors. So you're always very, very welcome to join us in Sierra Leone. I would love to, and I would. I, I, I'm going to. I just. I, I. I want to go. And if any other uh, act trainer is listening to this, if you have the opportunity to go, I highly recommend it. Like I said, it was. It was one of the more outstanding experiences I've had in my entire life to go to Africa, train folks, get immersed in the culture. Um, we were not staying in fancy hotels and acting like tourists. We were staying in, you know, uh, community compounds and, and rectories and uh, buying food from the open air market and cooking it on rocks. It was a 
fantastic opportunity. Uh, so uh, if you're an adventurous soul or if you're not so adventurous but you want to expose yourself to a fantastic opportunity to help out other people, uh, get in contact uh, with Beata. She's, she's doing something just magnificent. Thanks for being here today. Thanks, DJ. Bye-bye. Bye now. So if you are so moved, check out Commit and Act on Facebook. Find the webpage on the internet and donate to her NGO. And donate to the Developing Nations Fund in the Association for Contextual Behavioral Science. Or better yet, make the bold move to join her in Sierra Leone. And you know what? The real bold move is to be like Beata and do your own pro-social charitable work. I'd be glad to help. Uh, I've spent a lot of my professional life involved with nonprofits, building organizations, and navigating the choppy waters of business development and social services. So email me or find me on Twitter at Dr. DJ Moran. That's D-R-D-J-M-O-R-A-N. Thank you so much for joining me on Functionally Speaking.